Hello and welcome to the Southampton audio programme for the game against Brighton Hove Albion for Boxing Day. In today's programme, we have an overview of the women's team, a tactical watch about the opposition, and of course, our feature interview is also with our brand new manager, Nathan Jones. Dear supporters, welcome back to St Mary's as the Premier League finally returns. Boxing Day is a unique day on the football calendar, but it feels even more special after six weeks away from league action. For me, personally, it's doubly exciting to be experiencing my first Premier League home game as Southampton manager at St Mary's. The fact that it comes against Brighton over Albion is ironic, given my history there as a player and assistant manager, but those tyres are of secondary importance this afternoon. It feels a lifetime ago that I took charge of my first game away at Liverpool six weeks ago, but I knew the break would give us an opportunity to get some real good work into the players, and I feel that's something we've been able to achieve, both here at Staplewood and on a week-long training camp in Spain. What's been important to us is to build an environment and a culture that is bought into by everybody involved. We can only succeed when we are all in it together, but I have to say, the buy-in and commitment from the players has been outstanding. Last week, we were able to make a winning return to competitive action in the Carabao Cup, coming from behind to defeat Lincoln City and secure our place in the quarter-finals. A tough start to the game made our task tricky on the night, but once again showed the character of this group to come through it, scoring two goals and creating enough chances to score a couple more on our way to an important victory. Today, we know we must be very good against the Premier League team in Brighton, and I offer a warm welcome to head coach Roberto De Zerbi and his staff and players, and to the visiting supporters who have made the journey along the south coast. I hope you all enjoy a wonderful Christmas with your families, but Boxing Day is always about the football, and I hope we can make it one to savour for you, the Saints fans. We need you to create a special atmosphere, really get behind the team and keep encouraging the players from the first whistle to the last, because a sold-out St Mary's is a powerful place. We march on. I know we can build something special, but building something special takes results to galvanise that. It's been a long wait, but the time for Nathan Jones to take his first Premier League home game as Southampton boss has arrived. Eight years to the day since he stepped into the technical area for the very first time in charge of today's visitors. Never mind what message we send to them now or how we try to build an environment. The thing that will really be a catalyst or a springboard for us to building something would be results. Positive results. Nathan Jones knows the time for training and teaching and talking is over. It's been six weeks in the making, but today marks his first home Premier League game in charge of Southampton, eight years to the day since his first as a manager. Plenty has happened in the 47 days since his appointment, already longer than Liz Truss's reign as Prime Minister, which came to an abrupt end three weeks before Jones arrived on the south coast. Saints' new boss was quick to take his place in the dugout, overseeing a 3-1 defeat at Anfield, in which Liverpool had their goalkeeper to thank for preventing an anxious finish for those on the cop as the visitors pushed and pushed for a result. The players were afforded two weeks off to rest and recharge, before embarking on a mid-season pre-season at Staplewood, in the middle of which Saints flew to Spain for a training camp and a change of scene. Double sessions have become the norm, while virtually all of the training has centred around ball work, 
with a strong emphasis on attacking scenarios, creating chances and finishing them off. Saints must score more to win more. Returning to action last week after 38 days between matches, Jones took charge of his first win, 2-1 over Lincoln City, as again Saints conceded early but finished strongly to advance to the Carabao Cup quarterfinals. Six days later, the wait is over as Jones faces up to a club that has had a big impact on his playing and coaching career. After 183 appearances and three promotions in five seasons, he returned to Brighton as assistant manager, initially working under Spanish boss Oscar Garcia. Jones speaks the language, having spent two years in Spain as a player in his early 20s. 18 months later, following the departure of Sammy Hippier, Garcia's replacement, Jones, was placed in caretaker charge for the home game against Reading on Boxing Day 2014. We were 2-0 down after 11 minutes. Jones, an engaging storyteller, recalls with a grimace, as if still coming to terms with his side's slow start. It was Boxing Day, and I made my first decision to give them Christmas Day off, and it looked like that backfired on me. An ex-Brighton player, Glenn Murray, who I know very well, scored too. Then we started gathering momentum. We scored before half-time, and in the second half, we dominated the game. We scored late, and probably should have won. But that was a real good learning curve. The club was at a real low ebb after the sacking of Sammy, and that lifted everyone. It was a bit more of what Brighton were about, and then in the second game, we went away to Fulham and won 2-0. We took 4,000 Brighton fans, and we really celebrated. It seemed to lift the whole place. Jones, who has never given a team Christmas Day off since, openly admits he wanted the job there and then. It felt that was my opportunity, and I took my opportunity with both hands. Probably too much information, but I wasn't a happy chappy at that point, he says of the club's decision to go with the experienced head of Chris Hewton instead, who subsequently led the Seagulls to the Premier League. I quickly calmed down and quickly built up a real good relationship, and it was the right decision, because I probably wasn't ready to take Brighton to the next level. I wasn't as polished as I should have been at that point. I needed to go to Luton and learn and make mistakes because we built something at Luton and I think that time working as an assistant helped me. Chris Hewson came in. I worked as an assistant, but that gave us a springboard and without those four points, we would have gone down. So I take great pride in that. That was the start of his management career. But the start of his playing days can be traced back to his hometown, Arblyne Hondar, a small village in the southeast of Wales, 25 miles northwest of Cardiff, directly north of Bridgend. All it was was playing football. That's all I wanted to do, a 49-year-old says of his childhood. There wasn't too much else to do, and everything else was outdoors. It's not like today with computers and playstations. It was literally all we did. I knew from a really early age I had the same dream as a load of other young boys. That's where Jones's competitive spirit was born. By his own admission, he wasn't the most talented player, but a career spanning more than two decades and nearly 600 matches is a testament to his strength of character and dedication. I was unbelievably fit. I was left-footed and I wanted to win. Those were the three things that gave me a 23-year career, he states, honestly and succinctly. Technically, I wasn't blessed with unbelievable ability, but I was the fittest human possible. I could run, I could cross ball with my left and I wanted to win. I'd do anything to win. I'm very proud of my career. It's not as illustrious as some of us, but it's mine and that's what I'm proud of. As a boy, Jones supported Cardiff and Tottenham, the latter initially because of his admiration for goalkeeper Ray Clements, which later led to idolising Clive Allen and his favourite ever footballer, Chris Waddle. 
I got released from Cardiff when I was 19, he says, of his first major setback. I always wanted to play at the highest level. They told me after three years that I wasn't going to get another contract because I was too small. The ironic thing was, it helped shape me as a manager because at no point during those three years did they ever tell me, you've got to be bigger. This is the weights programme. This is the diet. At no point did they ever guide me. They just let me go three years and then said, you're not big enough to play in our first team. I had to drop into non-league with Mecha. That was the best thing I did because I worked even harder and then got a move. In terms of disappointments, in terms of clubs, I was constantly having to fight and I never had a massive long contract. I always had a hunger and a motivation to do well. From Mecha in the National League, Jones bypassed Cardiff in joining Luton in the Championship before his two-year education in the second and third tiers in Spain with Badajoz and Numancia respectively, winning promotion with the latter in 1996-1997. The link was ex-Merthal manager Colin Addison, who had initially followed Ron Atkinson to Spain to work as his assistant to Atletico Madrid, before Addison subsequently took the job himself and later signed Jones for Badajoz. I was homesick at Luton, to be honest, and the ironic thing was that I made the move to go and play in Spain, but I learned everything about a new way of life, culture, food and wine. At 21 years of age, I learned to stand on my own two feet, he explains. I also learned a new way of playing and a new way of doing stuff. That was a real good learning curve for me on all levels, but especially football and especially life. Returning to Britain, a more rounded person and a more polished player, Jones continued playing until he was 39, including three years at Southend, five at Brighton and seven at Yeovil. Interestingly, he credited much of what he learned about coaching and management to what he didn't learn as a player. I'm not sure I was different to any of the players. It wasn't that they shortchanged me, he shrugs. I'm not saying I worked with bad managers, but nobody ever sat me down and said, you could be anything you want to be. You could do anything. You're fit, you're left-footed. Let's make the best out of you. And sat me down and showed me videos. It was a different era then. When I was at Yeovil, we didn't have a sports code, which is a video tool for performance analysis, and all of those things, but we took an interest. I filmed stuff on a video camera, I saw Cristiano Ronaldo doing and showed it to a player called Sam Williams. I invested time into every individual and anyone who's worked with me would say the workload that he gets through and how he tries to improve us on every level is quite frightening. That's how we had to do it and that's why we get the buy-in. I wanted to be that type of coach first and foremost and then inadvertently I've morphed into that kind of manager. I invest time, I invest my life in the football club I'm at and the players and the team, and hopefully we'll see the rewards. That's probably my biggest strength. James's coaching journey took him to Charlton, where he built an all-conquering under-21 side that won the Professional Development League title in 2012-2013. His first job in senior management with Luton saw him lead the Hatters from League 2 relegation candidates to the League 1 automatic promotion spot, and later the Championship playoffs after an 18-month stint away. In between times, Jones spent nine months at Stoke, struggling to turn draws into wins and needing more time to stamp his own imprint on a club still suffering with the hangover of relegation from the Premier League. But this isn't a chapter in a career that Jones tries to avoid. Quite the opposite, in fact. He owns his mistakes and is a better manager as a result. He speaks of not doing the research I should have done and certain things that are alien to how I do stuff. With Stoke now on their fourth permanent manager in four years since relegation, there is evidence to support his opinion that it's not a quick fix. Returning to Luton once again, 
he took your team fighting relegation, this time from the Championship, to a team pushing for promotion to the Premier League. Inheriting struggling sides is nothing new. Now I'm in exactly the same position as every football club I've been at. You have to get results, he says. If we get results, I know we can build something special, but building something special takes results to galvanise that. The be-all and end-all is we haven't got enough points to be outside the bottom line. That's what we have to correct. It's a club that's been established as a Premier League club for a number of seasons, and we have to make sure that maintains. At the minute, it's a predicament, and it hasn't done certain things, which have meant it hasn't picked up the results that we've needed to. Now we have to try and change that. Southampton is a wonderful football club. I know all about the football club, and working with Rasmus and Sport Republic was a big pull for me, and that's why I made the decision. The nod to Sport Republic, and Rasmus Ankerson specifically, the former director of football at Brentford, who specialises in talent identification and player recruitment, is an intriguing subplot ahead of the January transfer window. But for the time being, Jones' sole focus is on working with the players he's inherited. It's building blocks, but the mid-season break has offered a chance to bed things in more thoroughly than at the heart of a congested fixture schedule. What's become clear throughout this interview is that Jones is a firm believer in improving individuals in order to improve a team. He credits Brighton chairman Tony Bloom and chief executive Paul Barber for investing time in him and developing his career and expects the same of himself towards his players and staff. At the minute, we've just been trying to lay the foundations that will stand us in good stead and we're really pleased with where we are. The week away helped that in terms of galvanising people and seeing people in a different light, he says, observing his players. We like doing jobs. We give people a lot of autonomy and self-worth because all the best managers and have a wonderful team behind them of workers, of footballers, of ground staff, of office staff, cooks, cleaners, everything. A manager can't do it on his own. And that's what I've done. I've seen there's a real good group here. It's a fitting twist of fate that the opposition for this landmark occasion for Jones is the club that started his coaching journey. But the Welshman is in no mood for sentiment. Those who know him best would expect no different. It will be a special one, he smiles. The biggest thing is it's my first home game in front of the Saints fans in the Premier League and that's my only focus. Yes, I've got affiliations with Brighton for the two spells but I'm the biggest Saints fan in the world now because my life depends on it. Now time for your Southampton women's update, as they ended the year with a battling cup defeat to the Super League side, Spurs. Tottenham Hotspur proved the more clinical team in a match that was otherwise evenly contested. Nikola Karzewska rolling home her cool finish after 26 minutes to ensure her side a 1-0 victory and progression in the FA Continental League Cup competition. Southampton came into the match free of any pressure, having already exited the Conte Cup following defeats to Coventry United and Reading in October and November respectively. However, women's Super League outfit Spurs could earn their progression into the quarter-finals with a victory. Marianne Spacey Chaos side made a threatening venture towards the visitors' goal, resulting in a shooting opportunity for Ella Pussy from just outside the box, but her curling right-footed effort was watched and held well by the experienced Finland international Tinja Lika Korpela. Saints' positive football would continue to restrict their visitors of opportunities until the 23rd minute, when Spurs upped the pressure. Kellis Harrop went within inches of opening the scoring, the defender stooping at the near post to meet a low cross before flicking her header cleverly over keeper Kayla Rendell and onto the top of the crossbar. Less than two minutes later, Saints were pressed back once again. 
Kozjewska enjoyed two chances in quick succession this time. Her initial blast denied well by Rendell following a skillful run and pass from Chioma Ubergegu, but the keeper could do nothing about her second attempt, which was tucked away expertly in the 26th minute. With Saints on top and the dying embers of the match, half-chances fell to Sophia Ferro, Georgie Freeland and Lucy Kendall, but none could convert amid the presence of Spurs' a solid defence, who remained committed to defending their one nil advantage until referee Ella Broad's final whistle went. A losing end to 2022 for the Saints, but a performance and a gear to be proud of, nonetheless. A very happy Christmas, well, Boxing Day, from all of us here at Saints Foundation. While we've all revelled in the joys of a festive World Cup and are excited to welcome the Premier League football back to St Mary's, we can't sugarcoat how difficult this winter will be for many people living in this city. With the cost of living squeezing all of our belts, our support is more important than ever right now. Over half of our participants live in one of the 30% most deprived areas of England. The help offered by our wide variety of programmes are essential for keeping people healthy, fulfilling their potential and, just as importantly, finding joy. When our pockets shrink, the first thing we lose is the joy in our lives. The treats in our shopping trolleys, festive fun days out, the pile of presents under the tree. That's why this Christmas we appeal for you to help us share the joy with our participants. With a campaign on the important role Senior Saints is playing in the lives of 200 of the city's older residents. Considering how this crisis is affecting people from all walks of life, we've been blown away by how generous you've been in supporting our campaign. Thanks to entries to our prize draw and direct donations via Just Giving, we've raised £5,000, meaning our regular programme delivery is strengthened as we enter the new year, and we've been able to share some extra joy in the build-up to Christmas. We've launched the appeal with the story of 72-year-old senior Saint Chris, who spoke about how her self-esteem has been boosted and new friendships have been forged since she started attending sessions several years ago. Chris and her husband Paul were among those who attended our Senior Saints Christmas party last week, where 200 over 60s enjoyed a turkey dinner, party games and a festive sing-along, all for free. A truly joyful day made possible by the generosity of everyone who donated. It is estimated that around 35% of Southampton's older people will have no money left after they pay your bills this winter. Your donations ensure we can continue to provide a tea and chat after each session to make sure that all participants socialise and enjoy a hot drink in a warm space. The sum of £5,000 will pay for more than 20 of these sessions, inclusive of instructor costs, venue hire and refreshments for all attendees. A huge thank you to everyone who donated to help us share the joy this Christmas or supported us in any way across 2022. From the nine hardened bike riders that cycled between 20 Premier League stadiums back in June to the many Southampton businessmen that support our work as corporate patrons, our work is truly a team effort made possible by collaboration, generosity and goodwill. In our next programme, when Saints face Nottingham Forest in January, We'll be looking back at the 2022 season and the impact all of our programmes have made here in Southampton. So, what about our opposition today? Well, Sam Tai, as usual, has written up our tactical watch. How did Brighton and Hove Albion spend the World Cup break? Brighton chose to jet off to warm weather training camp in Dubai while domestic football paused for the World Cup. 
manager Roberto De Zerbi only took charge in mid-September, stepping in for Graham Potter, so he'll surely have welcomed the chance to zero in on some strong tactical and training work with his new squad, a bit like Nathan Jones did here at Southampton. The Seagulls played one friendly out there against Aston Villa, drawing 2-2, and De Zerbi got a good look at the depth of his squad, given they were missing seven World Cup attendees. What has De Zerbi's first three months at Brighton shown us? From a human perspective, he's been warmly embraced by the fans. Potter was a very popular figure and replacing him felt a tough task. But Brighton supporters see a lot of Potter's good traits in De Zerbi and are right behind him. They even circulate a giant flag with his face on ahead of kickoff. From a tactical perspective, De Zerbi has understandably had to tweak a few things from his last job at Shakhtar Donetsk. He no longer manages the clearly dominant team in every encounter, so he's had to adapt his approach to the opposition, rather than utilise a more one-size-fits-all approach. The underlying principles of his football, though, remain. He wants the ball, he'll want to build from the back, he'll encourage his players to circulate the ball in deeper areas to bait the opponent's press, and then play through in quickly and launch attacks. How can Southampton hurt them? Circulating possession deep is risky. He invites pressure in risky areas and while the player can be taking five opposing players out of the game, it can cost you dearly if it does go wrong. Even De Zerbi himself has labelled it a gamble in the past. We could well be in store for a game of chicken. Brighton trying to coax Saints out to engage their centre-backs with the ball, Saints sitting in with a mid-block and trying to sense when the right moment is to step out. There's no doubt that you can catch them cold. Villa did exactly this in the last Premier League round, robbing Alexis McAllister on the edge of his own box and then feeding Danny Ings to score. But there's also the lingering risk that if your pressure doesn't tell, you'll get caught cold instead. How helpful will Saints 2-1 Carabao Cup win over Lincoln City be for preparation here? Saints set up in the Cup had echoes of Jones's loot in town. Back three, dual strikers and long raking balls played out from central centre-backs to begin moves aimed either at Shea Adams or the wing-backs. It felt a step away from the 4-4-2-ish shape used against Liverpool back in November and a step forwards into the Jones system. That feels like a positive, as it means he's putting his stamp on the team ahead of a, a very different second half of the season. What was also positive was both Samuel Adozzi and Theo Walcott's impact off the bench, albeit the latter's were short-lived. Adozzi's 1v1 dribbling caused chaos and Walcott provided two classic crosses into the box that led to chances. It's essential to have game-changing options to turn to. I hope all you Saints fans enjoyed a very happy time with family and loved ones this Christmas and I'd like to wish you all a very happy new year. It's certainly good to be back at St Mary's today as we prepare to take on Brighton and return to Premier League action. I'll be covering the game with BBC Radio 5 Live. Given that it is my first programme coming since his arrival, I'd also like to welcome our new manager Nathan Jones and his coaching staff to the club. I'm sure that even in the short time that they have been here at this fantastic football club, I wish them every success. It has probably been a bit of a whirlwind for them after being approached, appointed to them thrown straight into the Liverpool game. The break for the World Cup has given Jones a unique opportunity and one that he will have welcomed as he looks to put his stamp on things ahead of games against Lincoln, Brighton today, Fulham and Nottingham Forest. A few home fixtures to kick off during this period is important. That is something that we will really have to capitalise on and we need everyone behind the team now given the circumstances we find ourselves in. Form and momentum for teams before the World Cup break now goes out of the window. We had the opportunity to make a managerial change 
and the team training camp that the squad had in Spain will also have played a part in getting used to playing under the new head coach. It's a bit like a mini pre-season, starting from now. At Luton, Jones was renowned for creating a strong team spirit and for having a very hard-working team. Even though hard work is a given in football, it is crucial when you're coming up against the talent in the Premier League. I've experienced those ethics myself when you come up against the spending power of the bigger sides. That unity and bond can be the difference between winning and losing in some games and overcoming what is perceived as better talent. Things like keeping one clean sheet in the league will need to be addressed. We can be more solid at the back and need to create more chances at the other end and that will have been looked at recently. This is a period of the season where games come thick and fast and we have to hit the ground running. It's perhaps also a good time for me to thank Ralph Hasenhutl for his services to the club following his departure and I wish him well for the future. In football, there is always a time when that parting of the ways comes. That is just the nature of the sport. I'd like to finish by thanking anyone who donated to my Movember challenge or anyone who shared content around that. It was my first time being involved in it and it was great to be able to raise funds and awareness around the men's health issues that the course promotes. Franny.